Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. I'm recording this on a beautiful August morning and the door to my garden is open right beside me. If you hear birdsong, there are blue jays and goldfinches and hummingbirds out there. The author and screenwriter Gabrielle Zevin once said, I have so much paperwork, I'm afraid my paperwork has paperwork. I love that quote. Paperwork makes me think of the mythological serpentine water monster Hydra. According to the myth, Hydra had many heads, and when one was cut off, several grew in its place. Sounds like paperwork, doesn't it? Today, I'm going to share with you what I learned about paperwork in my practice as a family law lawyer through my clients' experiences stresses created by it, and also successes with it. I'm going to give you five tips. Some may work for you, others may not. It's a very individual thing managing paperwork. It comes easier to some people than others, and you should not beat yourself up if you're having trouble facing paper-intensive tasks. The key is to get help when you need it and identify when you're falling behind and do something about it. The reality is that you may be impacting your case in a negative way if you do not complete required paperwork. Don't do it on time or do less than your best work. We want to avoid all those scenarios. I invite you to remember two things if you are separated and facing a paper avalanche. Number one, you are likely seeing many of the documents and forms for the first time and completing paper-related tasks which are entirely, entirely novel. There may also be time pressures. My goal with the aid of my tips is to give you some tools for managing this novelty and pressure, having to learn as you go. Number two, 
a separation is frequently a period of tremendous change and upheaval. It can feel like you are floating in an ocean of emotions, often unpleasant, and sometimes even creating inertia, feeling frozen and unable to take the next step. Keep this in mind when you are facing paperwork, whether tabulating your family's expenses over the last 12 months or looking at those receipts related to the family trip you took last summer. These tasks may come with memories, tears, anger, resentment. It helps to be prepared for them and to build into your timelines sufficient downtime to deal with them. My tips today deal primarily with paperwork which is not court-related, but some of what I will talk about can be applied there as well. I will have a separate episode about completing and responding to court documents. Here are my tips. Number one, assume a tsunami. In my almost 25 years of practice, I have never had a client say to me, hey, so little paperwork, I was expecting more. The reality is more like, what? More paperwork? When will this end? Am I trying to scare you? No, but I want to create reasonable expectations and I want you to err on the side of imagining a tsunami rather than a rivulet. Number two, organize yourself and your paper. Here, how you do it really depends on you and you should not feel there is some definitive prescription, one way to keep track of all the paper. Your lawyer may have suggestions about this, which fit into how his or her office manages the paperwork at their end. But ultimately, they need to work with you and what you provide in the form you provide. No one should be asking you to come up with documents on a USB stick if you have never scanned a document or don't don't know what I'm talking about in the first place. Some people run their day-to-day lives using their computers. I mean literally. They scan everything and save files to folders. They use Excel spreadsheets to track their expenses and even to organize their holidays. Photos, records, tax returns, um, utility bills, bank statements, it's all there. Preserved in digital form and then saved electronically. If that is you, continue. Create new folders, name them clearly so you can find them easily and carry on. If you are transmitting any digital files to your lawyer's office, you might consider password protecting them if the material is sensitive. There is nothing wrong with managing paper this way, but it's not the only way. If that is not you, if the words save to file or email me a PDF make you lightheaded, The world is not coming to an end, and paper is still part of our lives. 
you should not feel pressure to suddenly learn to save documents on your computer, use tracking, or create zip files. I know you may be asking what tracking and zip files are. It's okay, you don't really need to know. You may decide to learn about them at some point, but you should not feel you have to right now. If you do want to use this time in your life as an opportunity to learn how to handle documents digitally and electronically, great. But you may be feeling enough pressure already, so do not think you have to adopt new habits in short order. If you are a paper person, sit yourself down with your favorite drink and spend a few minutes creating a plan in your head or even on paper. Develop that plan as you go along. So for example, think back to the initial meeting you had with your lawyer or even later meetings or discussions with their law clerk. Try and Recall the areas you discussed, the tasks ahead. I remember you say to yourself, she asked for my income records, tax returns, and pay stubs, and for my expenses over the last 12 months, and documents related to our house purchase and the deposit I made, and also for paperwork I got when Aunt Susie died and I got that inheritance. And she said she needed me to keep track of my expenses going forward, all of them. So my groceries and utilities and my haircuts and my car expenses and insurance and dental costs. There, right off the bat, you are identifying categories, possibly labels to use. Income information, another one, expenses. Here you would have past expenses, going forward expenses. For each of those headings, there would be subcategories, like for example, home-related expenses, past and present, personal expenses, grooming, clothing, dry cleaning, and so on, medical, dental, and prescription expenses. I know you're getting the drift. So how do you physically manage this? Some people get actual folders. They label them and assemble the specific paperwork that way by topic. I have even seen people use different colored folders for different categories. That makes finding what you're looking for a breeze. And when you're stressed, that's a bonus. I have also had a few clients who used accordion files. Again, each slot is labeled. And then for ongoing expenses, for example, you slide each new utility bill into the right slot. The same can be done for past expenses when you are assembling the records for the last 12 months to arrive at average costs. I've even had a couple of clients who managed to find accordion files, which had zippers and handles. They actually looked like little briefcases. And when you unzip them, the expected slots were inside. Then they brought those briefcases with them to our meetings, which proved very efficient. 
there are lots of other options. Some people like to keep documents in boxes, and that is perfectly fine as long as you have your own method for identifying the documents and keeping them organized in case they are needed quickly. Tip number three, ask when. I suggest it's important to understand the timelines related to various paperwork. Why? Here's why. Some tasks involving paperwork are easier, require less effort, and are less time-consuming than others. If you are asked to produce three documents and you know where to find them, that's easy-peasy and can be done quickly. But if the request is for documents which are voluminous or which require your searching for them or reaching out to others to get them, you will clearly need more time for this particular task. When the ask is large, there is a risk that you will become overwhelmed either emotionally by the sheer volume of what's ahead or while you're actually putting the documents together. You may actually delay truly getting into the weeds or you may put the job aside even once you started because you're getting stuck on something or find it too onerous. I encourage you wholeheartedly to find out exactly how much time you have available to produce what you were asked for. Sometimes, particularly in the context of a court case, timelines are tight and everybody has to work quickly to produce a lot of paperwork. But there are tasks in a family law case which can be completed based on human reasonable timelines. And you should definitely, definitely ask your family law team or your mediator if you are being asked to produce paperwork by him or her what actual time you have available to do this. Don't guess at it. These professionals are hired by you to assist you, so you should tap into their experience and give yourself a mental break. You may think you need to produce something in a week, but you actually have a month to do it, so wouldn't it be nice to know that? Human nature being what it is, we don't like to do things which are unpleasant. So we have a natural tendency to put them off. At least most of us do. There is a risk that when you find out you have ample time to deliver documents to your lawyer, you will relax and not begin on the project right away. You will tell yourself you have lots of time to do it and put the task aside. This might create a false sense of available time and procrastination. Then you really need to do it because the deadline is actually coming up and you scramble, rush, perhaps cut corners, skip certain sections. Not ideal. And all this creates extra pressure on you, which is what we want to avoid. Many people feel very much out of control when their relationships end. Many clients have told me 
that putting together paperwork in an organized way, methodically, gives them back a bit of the control they're missing. They know what a huge impact their contribution can have on their case, their own contribution, including the paperwork they complete. And they feel empowered by that. My suggestion is that you inform yourself exactly how much time you have available to produce the paperwork you were asked for. And then you get on with it, no matter what the timeline is. If you complete the task early, you will feel terrific. And you can spend the time you set aside for this chore doing something much more pleasant. Tip number four. Assume handling paperwork will take you three times longer than you think it will. This point is related to the one I just discussed about timelines. In my almost 25 years of practice, I have seen lots of instances when the best of intentions went astray because insufficient time was set aside to complete paperwork. Let me give you a classic example. In Ontario, every separated spouse has to complete a financial statement. I tell all my clients it's likely the most important document they will fill out in their family law case because it contains significantly important information on several subjects. I also tell them it's likely the most horrible document they have ever handled and it will take them much longer to complete than they anticipate. The document is only several pages long, but the length in and of itself can be quite deceptive if you're using it to gauge how much time you will need to fill it out properly. Although the document is not unreasonably long, the information you are expected to fill out is quite complex and requires that you dip into other sources of information and then record what you have found back in this document. By way of one example, you are expected to list all of your bank accounts with balances at specific dates. It's not sufficient to simply say account at TD Bank. The information should be more detailed than that, and the balances you show should be connected to an actual bank statement for that day. So to fill out that particular entry alone, it won't be enough for you to glance at the box where information about bank accounts is to be listed, and then simply write out that you have a bank account at TD. That entry alone will need some more legwork from you. And there are many, many entries like this in an average financial statement. The expenses, what I refer to as the budget, is another area of the financial statement that can be quite labor intensive because depending on the facts of your case, you may be asked to fill out various categories based on averages of expenses over a time period. Again, 
Here, you may have to do significant legwork to assemble the raw material. For example, 12 months of utility bills, from which you will then be creating and providing averages. My overall point here is the following. It is very likely that you will be completing many of the paperwork intensive tasks you are required to complete in a typical family law case for the first time ever. In other words, there will be an element of a learning curve, sometimes quite steep. So you are unlikely to simply look at a document you are seeing for the first time and hit the ground running. Set aside time to initially familiarize yourself with the document or the paper intensive tasks you are asked to complete. My suggestion is that when you receive a blank form for the first time, for example, like a blank financial statement, sit yourself down and take a look at the form itself. Flipping to see how many pages there are is likely not enough. Again, that might create an impression in your mind that it's a two-hour job. Look at the content in some detail and figure out how much legwork you will need to do to put together the raw material, which will then allow you to complete this document in the most accurate way possible. Remember, you won't enjoy filling out this form. In fact, you're likely to hate it because many clients find completing a budget or listing their debts and assets personally invasive and unpleasant. Again, we're human and we would much rather sit on a beach than complete our tax returns unless you're one of those rare humans who enjoy doing that. Again, if at the end it turns out that you set aside too much time to complete this task, then that is fantastic and you can spend that time doing something that fills your heart with joy. But the goal here is to help you manage your stress. Tip number five, more is more. Most family law lawyers will agree with me when I say that handling a family law case effectively involves getting into our client's head to an extent. That may sound rather strange, but let me explain what I mean. In order to present your case in an organized and effective way, whether in negotiations between lawyers or in court, we need to truly be in command of the history of your relationship, many other aspects of your life, including your employment history, your earnings, medical histories, and so on as well as much of the same information relating to your spouse. That command of the facts is also required by us to formulate the claims in your case. So your relationship with your family law lawyer will involve a lot of interviewing and information gathering by him or her so that they are familiar with your case. All this information is in your head and the lawyer will have to access it in one of two ways. Number one, 
they will either draw it out of you through skilled questioning and interviewing, or number two, you will give it to them unprompted. What is likely is a combination of the two, but even the most skilled interviewing may not get at a fact, an event, for example, in which you were involved, but the lawyer knows nothing about. And it may be vitally important for your case that your lawyer have this information. This is precisely what I mean when I say more is more. I'm very happy when I receive notes from my clients which say, I don't know if this is relevant, but I thought I would tell you this. That tells me my client understands that it's important for me to know everything. I can then decide which information is relevant in a particular circumstance or relevant at all. So I would much rather have a client provide me with too much than not enough. We have come to the end of this episode. What I have talked about today is not carved in stone anywhere. It's not the only way to approach paperwork. I have shared with you tips based on my practical encounters with situations faced by actual clients, fellow humans facing change, facing pressure, stress, and often sadness. Something I have talked about may help you manage a similar situation. I hope so. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.